You are listening to Tell It From Calvary, a ministry of Calvary Baptist Church, New York City, where we preach Christ crucified, risen, and coming again. The following sermon is by Dr. Ed Stetzer, author, missiologist, and interim teaching pastor at Calvary. For upcoming events and services, visit our website at cbcnyc.org. And now, here is today's message. Good morning. Her name was her name was Betsy. She was born in Albany, New York, and um, kind of came of a privileged life. And she ended up marrying a guy who wasn't always such a great guy. And she uh, he uh, had at least one affair, uh, probably uh, probably more. He was sort of known as uh, someone who would fly off the handle very quickly, um, wrote some things, made fun of people's appearance, um, got in trouble, ended up losing his job because of some of his bad character attributes and more. But Betsy was a very, very committed Christian. She would each morning have her children uh, read a passage of the Bible, sometimes an historical text, but a passage from the Bible on a regular basis, brought them to church on a regular basis, really sought to to live her faith. Um, Later, she would be involved in uh, work caring for the least of these and more. Uh, But she had a challenging and lots of opportunity for forgiveness in the relationship with her husband. Um, many of us know the name of her husband more than we know the name that her close friends and family called her, Betsy. That's her husband's name is uh, Alexander Hamilton. And uh, maybe you saw the television production that came out. Uh, maybe you saw the theatrical performance. But uh, most people note you don't pick up much on Eliza's life. Betsy, they called her, her close friends. You don't pick up much in her life except a couple of key moments And one of those key moments is when her sister's actually telling the story in the TV program or the theatrical performance, the TV program of the theatrical performance, and there's just this sudden moment when they're in the garden uptown and she takes his hand and everyone sings forgiveness. And it's quite a jarring moment. It's quite a change to the tone and the direction of the musical itself. Because that forgiveness is a pretty powerful moment in this. And it's pretty difficult to portray. Uh, Lynn Manuel talks about it on more than one occasion, um, about the struggle he had to portray that moment. But for us as followers of Jesus, forgiveness is central to what we know. Matter of fact, forgiveness to others flows from forgiveness we receive, with the caveat that I recognize that. Um, the complexity of telling a story at the beginning of a sermon. Say, well, what about this? And what about this? And what about this? But Jesus addresses the shocking nature of Christian forgiveness on more than one occasion. And I thought it would be worth our while to think about some of the application today. So we're in our series. Our series is I Gotta Know, uh, Big Questions Answered by Jesus Himself. I'm Ed Stetzer, the uh, interim teaching pastor here. The question today that Jesus answers for us is, why is forgiveness so important? So I do want to welcome you uh, to this message today. I'm glad you came. I know that there's a marathon going on. I know this from personal experience because I 
bought a sandwich this morning and thought about that, that marathon. <laughs> so I didn't go to it, but anyway. So Matthew chapter 6, verse 12, but I'm going to actually include verses 14 and 15 because I think verses 14 and 15 relate to verse 12. So if you have your Bible, take out your Bible, turn with me to the book of Matthew. We've been going through the book of Matthew each week. Uh, last week, Josh was here, continued through here, and today we come to the idea of verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. We actually say that prayer a lot here. We did this a few minutes ago, and, and there's always a question we say trespasses or debts. We'll get to that in just a minute. So it says in Matthew 6, 12, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And then it says, for if you forgive others, this is just right after this, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So we're going to unpack this strong word from Jesus with a reminder that forgiveness to others flows from forgiveness we received. Let me say it again. Forgiveness to others flows from forgiveness we received. So a faith filled with forgiveness is a beautiful thing. It makes musicals, right? People celebrate that moment of forgiveness but a faith not filled with forgiveness becomes a faith of judgmentalism and bitterness. Unforgiving people who are religious sometimes become some of the most judgmental and bitter people that we know. So this week we're going to talk about how God's forgiveness motivates us to forgive others. Um, this prayer that Jesus prays, uh, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors, can change your understanding of what it means to truly forgive and moves us from self-focused pride to God-focused peace. A friend of mine wrote what is probably the best-selling book on Christian forgiveness. It's called R.T. R. T. Kendall's his name, and he wrote a book called Total Forgiveness, and I rely some of it in, on some of it here. We were, um, he, he lived in Nashville near where we lived, and so we were texting last night, and he shared some more information that I just find helpful. I want to commend that book to you because I don't think that everything you need to know about forgiveness will be contained in an Alexander Hamilton reference, and certainly not uh, in a theatrical play. Here we look to the Scriptures, but even this Scripture doesn't contain everything the Bible teaches about forgiveness. So you can walk through more and encourage that resource as well. But we want to leave with three things. That prayer here changes our understanding of forgiveness in terms of our need for forgiveness and our call to forgive. Uh, prayer calls us here to fight against our idolatry of pride. We'll look at that in just a minute. And forgiveness paves the way for intimate fellowship with our Heavenly Father. So to do this, we want to look at the parable Jesus tells later in Matthew that we just read a few minutes ago. Uh, look at that parable to illustrate forgiveness in very vivid and even visceral terms, but we'll get there. Number one on our outline, number one is understanding forgiveness, and we begin with our need. Okay, so you see here five words, and forgive us our debts, and forgive us our debts. Forgive means to put away. It clarifies the idea of action, which brings separation from a prior condition. We're putting something away. In our culture, uh, some see people as, uh, some, some actually see forgiveness as weakness. I mean, th this has actually been stated by leaders of our country, that to forgive is a sign of weakness, to punch back is the better solution, right? But the Scriptures see forgiveness as powerful, so powerful so powerful that God would forgive sinners. Matter of fact, God is marked by forgiveness. Look at Psalm 103, verse 3, who forgives all your iniquity. 
who heals all your diseases. Or Isaiah 43, 25 says, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Now, debts, trespasses, or sins are the ways that this is sometimes uh, translated. And it actually more comes from the tradition probably you grew up in. Uh, those raised, and if you're kind of from a Presbyterian or a Reformed tradition, you're, you probably say debts, uh, those who come from like an like a, uh, Episcopal or Roman Catholic or Methodist, they're more likely to say trespasses. And those churches that later on were more influenced by ecumenical uh, movements, more likely to say sins. Um, and so to people, William Tyndale, who actually died for translating the Bible, often used trespasses. So, so what is the distinction between the two? So, well, debts may be the best way because debts implied something owed Trespasses really implies breaking the rules of sin. You've trespassed, you've broken a, a rule. And so if in verse 12, the word is literally debts, and in verses 14 and 15, it's actually uh, trespasses, and it's also sins, right, in Luke's account of Luke 11. So in Luke 11, Luke gives an account of a shorter version of the Lord's Prayer and actually uses the, the word uh, harmatia, which is sin. So, so again, I, I think all kind of get to an important point but I'm going to look at it in terms of debts because that's the example that Jesus uses later in Matthew chapter 18. So Matthew chapter 18, it's not going to be on the screen. So if you want to open in your Bible, we just read it a few minutes ago. If you want to open in your Bible, you can do that. But in Matthew chapter 18, we hear the story in verses 23 through 27. It says, uh, there's a king, this is Matthew chapter 18, who, and it's a parable, right? Matthew chapter 18, verse 23 says, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants, right? So, um, so when he began to settle, one of whom uh, was brought who owed 10,000 talents, since he could not pay, and you're going to see why in just a minute, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children, all that he had, and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I'll pay you everything, and out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Now, now we're familiar with the story. It was just read earlier. Uh, on the surface, we get it. Forgiveness is given to this man, but it's actually in the details that we see the magnitude of the sin, and it'll help us understand why Jesus would tell us to pray, forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. To understand talents, you have to understand denarii. And, and, and again, I know we're getting into this, it's a little, little geekish, but it's important here, right? It's not some magic I learned in seminary. Any Bible commentary would tell you this, right? One denarii equals one day's wages, right? So, so if, if sold into slavery, for, for simplicity, imagine he worked 50 weeks, six days a week. So that's 300 denarii a year. And then if he did that for 20 years without a break in his schedule, that would be 6,000 denarii. So for 20 years, if this is the case, right, because remember we're talking about denarii to understand talents. We're going to get there in just a minute, right? He wanted to settle accounts. He owed him 10,000 talents. So, so the king would say, congratulations, you just worked for 20 years. You've earned 6,000 denarii. That's enough to pay back one talent. You only have 9,990 more to go. So uh, this is actually for Philip Massey, Bible University, talks about this. Or the Expositor's Bible Commentary says this. There are 6,000 denarii in one talent. And so, so, so what we're basically talking about, 10,000 talents is 200,000 years of work for that person. 
So I'm guessing he's not going to pay it off. <laughs> right? Maybe you felt that way, right? Um, $7.4 billion in today's money. So this is like and likened by Jesus to our debt to God, except not even comparable because it's, so, it's basically saying, you know, when, when my kids were little, we talk about a, a, a bazillion, you know, a kabillion. I mean, it's just, it's basically, the point here is, it's so much, so much debt, which would accompany with so much judgment, and how amazing God's grace is to us. So when you pray, forgive us our debts, well, we recognize later in Matthew 18, Jesus would point out that this is basically 200,000 years of work to pay off the debt. So to pray for us for forgiveness is to realize and to recognize the debt, forgive us our debts, that Christ paid in forgiveness to us. So I want you not to miss this because what happens is everyone gets focused in, and I get it, forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. Like, well, wait a second. If we don't forgive our debtors, then we, what, what happens then? And I don't want you to be, I, I, we're going to get there. But the focus here is the enormity of the debt. He paid a debt you could not pay. And because of that, you can forgive others. So for us to pray for forgiveness means to recognize the debt Christ paid for forgiveness of sins. So every time from now on, when you hear somebody say, forgive us our debt, I don't want you to think in terms of a monetary amount. I want you to think in terms of an immeasurable payment of an impossible debt that you could not repay. And so when he says, forgive us our debts, it's so much more than just simply, well, I'm sorry, Lord. Forgiveness to others flows from this forgiveness we have received. And a faith not filled with forgiveness becomes a faith of judgmentalism and bitterness. But when we understand the debt that he paid, we're so much more likely to forgive others. Now, I want you to hear, because I recognize that some of you have had some uh, terrible things, wrong things done to you. And I'm not, through this message, answering every question about every issue, about how we respond to every wrong. I want you not to miss that, right? There's consequences to wrong and more. But I do want to look at one short sentence in Jesus' Lord's Prayer, tied into a clarification and additional information he gives, and talk about, in general, forgiveness. So number one, understanding forgiveness, our need. Number two, understanding forgiveness, our call. So there's our need and our call. So forgive us our debts as, here's the second part, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, again, I like the word debtor here because it points us to that Matthew 18 passage that tells us so much. So, God calls us to forgive others as we have been forgiven. Let's look at the Matthew 18 passage again. Here it is on the screen. It says, but when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So, his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him. Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. You may have noticed that the means of financial accounting has actually shifted. And if you're paying close attention, you would have noticed that it shifted. So in verse 24, it says the original slave owed him 10,000 talents. Then he finds someone who owes him 100 denarii. 
Now we remember now that 6,000 denarii are one talent. So if you read it through quickly, you might have thought they were talking about the same unit of measure. No. So he says, pay what you owe, put him in prison. So this is actually four months' wages. Say $12,000, you know, compared to 200,000 years of wages, $7.4 billion. Now I know you came to church this morning not expecting math. I get that, right? I was told there'd be no math. Um, sorry, I know that there are some really math-oriented people here, but I'm not. Math is hard. Um, but the contrast is crucial. If you read through Matthew 18 and you just don't notice that it, sw- it switches from uh, talent to denarii, you don't get the contrast. It's overwhelming. And it's important because it shows us what we are to be like And it shows us what we are like when we refuse to forgive others. So we don't forgive others. It's, we might say it's astronomically ignorant of our own sin and brokenness. And the seed of this ignorance is typically pride. The seed of this ignorance is typically pride. Forgiveness to others flows from the forgiveness we have received. So again, that's why even things like seven times 70, if you've been in church before, you've probably heard somebody say seven times 70 or 70 times seven, excuse me. And the idea that I should keep forgiving people 70 times 7, but forgiveness is not saying there's no consequence, right? Forgiveness does not minimize the offense. It's a choice to release the matter to God. Forgiveness is not forgetting. It lets go of the pain to move forward in our walk with the Lord. Forgiveness is not done in our own power. God's Spirit empowers us to forgive. And the world doesn't know how to respond to that. I was watching live television, and it was CNN I was watching at the time. And Anderson Cooper was, watch, was reporting on the shooting at the Mother Emanuel Church in South Carolina. And you may remember when, um, when uh, a gunman walks in, pretends to go to a Bible study, and then shoots and kills several people in that Bible study. And then at the, um, at the uh, they're making victim statements, and uh, one by one they came up and talked about their forgiveness for this very troubled young man. And what was fascinating to me was to watch, I mean, it was powerful to just see that, right? So, and you could just see that and how powerful it was. They weren't saying there wouldn't be consequences. They wouldn't say he wouldn't be imprisoned, right? They're, they're, all those things still happen. But to watch this, and then to watch Anderson Cooper's response, you can actually find it online. Well, he just, he doesn't know what to say. He doesn't have an explanation for this kind of forgiveness that changes so much. And I would say to you, having watched Hamilton, at the scene where there's forgiveness, they actually sing forgiveness, there's a line that flows from that, and it's a grace more powerful, too powerful to name, a grace too powerful to name. That's what forgiveness is. So it's a powerful reality, and we see it throughout the Scriptures. So the prayer reminds us to first recognize, remember, and hold to the fact that Jesus forgives our debts. The parable shows us what this forgiveness looks like. When his fellow servants saw, this is hopefully on the screen, when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. This is Matthew 18. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, seven billion dollars. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all the debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. 
Daniel 9.9 says, to the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness. Acts 10.43 says, to him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. There is a recurring theme. We forgive because we have been forgiven. Now, it's hard sometimes. Um, I'm really struck, though, by that verse. Very strong language, and Jesus often uses very strong language. And he says here, they delivered him to the jailers. Some translations say to the torturers. And I will tell you, I, like you, have seen the torture of unforgiveness and bitterness that has destroyed many a life. So just thinking my, my family from Queens, and just yesterday, the came into LaGuardia, taxi, put up Queens Boulevard and brought back memories. And, and one of those memories is a very bitter grandmother. My, my dad texted me recently and he said, what is the first word you think of when you think of my mother? And I didn't want to answer, so I said, grandma. <laughs> and he said, I think of bitterness. And it was because, and she did indeed have a hard life. And the bitterness continued to torture her through the totality of her life. I bet I'm not the only one who has a story of a family member like that. Matter of fact, you may be that family member to somebody else. Unforgiveness takes root, and it creates a root of bitterness. Again, I can't answer all the questions about all the details, about all the complexities in this short 30-minute message. But what I want to say to you is you can walk in forgiveness, and with that forgiveness comes a remarkable amount of freedom. I mean, look, when we look to the Scriptures, right, let's just go through quickly here. Colossians 2, 13 and 14, I'm covering a lot of Bible today. And you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made us alive together with Him, having forgiven all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt, right, stood against us with legal demands. Then He set aside, set, he set aside nailing it to the cross. So when we hear the phrase, as we also have forgiven our debtors, it is not right? In the measure that I have forgiven others. No, but, but God doesn't ask us to do what He doesn't value. Forgiveness is a central attribute of the character of God, and people who reflect the character of God will be people of forgiveness. So we walk in freedom to receive God's forgiveness when we forgive. Remember the parable of forgiveness. I mean, in Matthew 5, verses 23 and 24. So if you're offering your gift there at the altar… And there, remember, that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift, therefore, before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come to the altar. In just a few minutes, we're going to partake in the Lord's Supper. And the song that we are going to sing is come to the altar. And as we sing that song, I want you to reflect on this passage and say, is there some brokenness? Is there some restoration? Is there some, okay, maybe it's not those things. Maybe it's not restoration because the person has done something that's, that's just Im impossible to say. Let's just move beyond, whatever. But can you still walk in that forgiveness? A faith not filled with forgiveness becomes a faith of judgmentalism and bitterness. Now, again, it's hard, right? But consider this. Unforgiveness imprisons you in the past, right? You're still trapped in that moment. 
Unforgiveness creates a bitter spirit. And let me just say to you with that trapped in that moment, that may be a journey of counseling and walking through and getting freedom. Again, I'm not saying everything that is to be said about forgiveness. I won't say that anymore. I just need you to hear. I'm not saying everything that needs to be said about forgiveness in a 30-minute sermon. Unforgiveness creates a bitter spirit. Unforgiveness gives Satan more opportunity to tempt further sin. Unforgiveness hinders our fellowship with God, which I think is the focal point of verses 14 and 15. Last night, I got into my hotel. Those of you who don't know, I, I fly in from Chicago. Got into my hotel last night, and I've kind of built a relationship and a friendship. Well, friendship's too strong a word. I built a relationship with the hotel. I go to the same hotel each time that I'm here. Though the price this weekend was a lot higher than it normally is. Has to do with something about a bunch of people running around when they could be sitting and enjoying a sandwich. So she said, she said to me, hey, good to see you again. I said, good to see you again as well. I says, and, and I said, you, you work every Saturday. And she said, I do work. I see you because see, I see her and one other gentleman each Saturday when I come in. And I said, yep, I come in and, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm coming in because I preach at a church. And she said, that's great. What are you speaking about tomorrow? And I mean, just I'm like, please, Lord, thank you. I said, well, I'm actually talking about Jesus' words about forgiveness. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are debtors. And she says, she says, that's a hard, hard thing for people to do, isn't it? I said, it is. It is, but that's why Jesus teaches us but leads with the forgiveness he grants to us. See, it's interesting because she asks more questions. The Lord opens the door when we lead with the beauty of the forgiveness found in Christ. Number three on our outline. Forgiving is the way to intimacy with our Heavenly Father. I want you not to miss this. The way to intimacy, not the only way, but it's the way to intimacy with our Heavenly Father. It says this in Matthew 6, 14 and 15, right after. So we're going to come back to, we're not skipping the verse uh, 13, but I mean, you can't miss that Jesus is obviously connecting this. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. For, it says in verse 14, if we forgive others their trespasses, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. These verses carry on the thought in verse 12 while adding the negative consequences if we fail to forgive others. They explain uh, not, all, not, not the forgiveness of all our sin at the cross, which gives us a greater relationship with God, but the practical way. I want you not to miss this again, because remember, one verse, one passage, one sermon, in this case, three verses in one sermon, are not everything that the Bible says about forgiveness. It says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It says elsewhere that he separates us from our sin as far as the east is from the west. So, so again, this is not part of the prayer, but it's sort of an appendix to it, commenting further. Trespasses here literally means falling to one side. It means deviating from the truth. So considering the depth of what Christ has done... It's not an option for a believer to refuse to forgive others. We would not want to for not forgive others. Now, it could seem, at first blush, a contradiction to the idea that salvation is by grace and through faith. So am I saved by forgiving others? But here we're told there's a parallel between the Father's forgiveness of us and our forgiveness of others. So there's no work we can do, no effort on our own that could provide us forgiveness of sins the Scripture is undeniably clear in many places that our salvation comes through the work of Christ on the cross, dying for our sin and in our place. But Scripture is also clear that our daily fellowship with God is impacted. Don't you miss this. Our daily fellowship with God is affected when we don't do as He does and as He commands. 
It's not unlike a parent's relationship with a child, right? A child may be cruel and unforgiving to a sibling. That will hinder uh, his or her relationship with the family, but the relationship as a daughter does not change. So these verses tell us a few things, right? We have to both we have both the command to forgive others and the power to do so because we've been forgiven ourselves. Don't miss this. We have both the command to forgive others and the power to do so because we've been forgiven ourselves. And the issue here is not our salvation, our position before the Father, or our essential identity as Christians. The issue relates to our prayer life, our ongoing relationship with Him. We're never more like our Heavenly Father when we forgive and never more unlike Him when we refuse to forgive. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Or Colossians 3.13, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. Did you, you see Paul's writing these things, Paul the Apostle's writing these passages, and he keeps saying, as the Lord has forgiven you. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Well, forgive us our debts. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, said, the man who refuses to forgive refuses to be forgiven. God grant that we may, none of us, tolerate malice in our hearts. May we quench it and feel that we do freely and fully and heartily forgive, knowing that we are forgiven. So, I, like some of you, have had some particularly heinous things directed at me in my life. And, not going into details, um, walking in forgiveness has been one of the most freeing realities of my life. So the emphasis here is on the consequence of someone who, having received forgiveness of sin and salvation, does not follow in forgiving others. So let me just review, because I can't really see with that fancy light we got up there. Okay, so we got just a few more. We got a spotlight now, and I forgot my, my, time, my phone with the timer down there, so I hope you packed a lunch. So we're going to spend a little time, because I can't see the time. Um, I know you're thinking, but Ed, i got to go finish the marathon. Yeah, I'm thinking that too. Um, just a few things. God's forgiveness of sin in His work of salvation is not based on our forgiving others any more than it's based on any work or anything else that we think might attain salvation on our own. Salvation is a work of God's grace alone. Our actions do not earn salvation, but they give evidence of salvation. So the relationship we have with God is secure through our conversion, our relationship with Jesus, our fellowship and intimacy with God is affected by our refusal to forgive others. Some of you are hearing that, and it's hard because that's what you're walking through right now. There's a bitterness that's taken root in your heart, made it impossible or hard to forgive others. I want to tell you the good news is, is that in the power and the strength of the Holy Spirit, maybe with the help of counseling, maybe taking some time, you can get to the other side. That's why we ask God to forgive us our debts as we forgive others. We cannot walk in close fellowship with God if we refuse to forgive others as He forgave us. Putting it positively, right? Our experiencing and grasping of God's forgiveness of us compels us to forgive others. And that's, I think, one of the main reasons that churches struggle and have more division than is normal is we don't experience revival or renewal because in our churches there's an unforgiving spirit among far too many believers. And I don't want you to miss this, because, because when you live the fullness of this out, it impacts your life, it impacts your church, and it impacts more. 
Let me close with another example that many of you be familiar with. And it's the example of the Jesus story of the prodigal son. We see a guilty, selfish, sinful son go away and squander all that his father has given to him. He came home a broken man. The father's racing to meet him is one to me of the most beautiful moments in the whole Bible. Racing to meet him. And the demonstration of forgiveness and restoration touches everybody. It's beautiful. Right? Everyone maybe except the most hardened Pharisee. But the elder brother pictures the person who doesn't heed Matthew 6, 14 and 15. He is far more interested in retribution and justice than in grace and forgiveness. And my prayer for us is may we be more like the father than the older brother. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. My encouragement to you is as we move into the time to partake of the Lord's Supper, that you might prepare your heart. And it's more than just this. When we partake in the Lord's Supper, we want to ask the Lord to forgive us of any sin with the promise that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I want to invite you today in just a moment to partake in the Lord's Supper completely forgiven. As a matter of fact, I would encourage you not to partake in the Lord's Supper if you're not walking fully in the forgiveness of Christ. Say, well, how do I know if you're not a follower of Jesus? The Lord's Supper is actually not for you. Not that I'm mad at you, not that I think less of you. I don't want you to partake in what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11 will be an unworthy manner. So no one's going to look at you, no one's going to judge you, no one's going to know. But if you're not a follower of Jesus, I want to encourage you not to partake in the Lord's Supper. And if you have unconfessed sin that you won't let go of, I want to encourage you not to participate in the Lord's Supper. And the passage we saw earlier, if we have unforgiveness, this would be a time for you to pass by and not partake in the Lord's Supper. I'm going to ask at this time for the worship team to come up and uh, join me as we walk through 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and partake in the Lord's Supper together. Uh, just to get some of the mechanics out of the way, um, when you came in, you probably received one of these cups. But right now, if you didn't receive one of these cups, our ushers are getting into position, and in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. And when you raise your hand, in just a moment, they're going to come bring you one of these cups. So if you came in and you'd like to partake in the Lord's Supper and you didn't receive a cup, if you'd raise your hand right now, we'll go ahead and bring that to you. We see several hands raised. And so our ushers are springing into action and bringing those to you as well. Got some down here, and we'll make sure everyone partakes, uh, wants to partake together. The cup is, is a little complex, and so I want to talk about it before we walk through the Lord's Supper together, um, because it has two level, layers to it, right? So here's what I do, and I want to encourage you to do. I actually, right now, before I do anything else, I, I roll this op open, and I take out the bread, right? So I now have the bread, and I'm ready to partake in the bread. And I can hold that out separately from there. I also will take just a moment, and I'll sort of open a little bit the cup so I'm ready to partake in the cup as well. And so I've got the bread, and then I've got the cup. Now, obviously, this partaking in the Lord's Supper is so central to the idea of forgiveness because of what Jesus did. He died on the cross. He shed his blood. He, his body was broken. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul writes this. It says, but in the following instructions, I do not commend you because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. I hear you come together to church that there are divisions among you. Well, that's a great place to begin, isn't it? Paul's actually saying, let's deal with some of the unforgiveness, the divisions in the church. And goes on to give some other details here. But then he says in verse 23, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. 
This is the bread you can see here in my hand. He took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So when Jesus' body was broken on the cross, he had nails in his hands and his feet, a spear in his side. We know that we gather together to celebrate that 2,000 years ago. What a strange thing to celebrate because this, though, is what paid the price. This is what paid the debt I could not pay. So when I come to the altar, I come in forgiveness. I partake together with others who have been forgiven. I received from the Lord that which I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. He gave thanks. So I'd like for us to give thanks together. And then in just a moment, we'll take of the, partake of the bread. We'll sing a little bit, then we'll partake of the cup. But I'd like you to stand with me. Would you stand with me now? Thank you for listening to Tell It From Calvary. If you feel led to give toward the local, national, and global ministries of Calvary Baptist, please visit cbcnyc.org slash give or call us at 212 212- We hope you join us next time as we continue to tell it from Calvary.